to practice with our hands and our feet. Lord, thank you so much for loving us enough that you would choose to become a mere mortal and put on flesh and come and walk among us and teach us and love us and fellowship with us and break bread with us and show us what it means to follow you and to be a member of your kingdom. Thank you for being a God that never hides himself from us, that you show us who you are and what matters to you. Thank you for making a way for us when we would never be able to make a way for ourselves. We can try as hard as we want. We will never cut it. Because of your infinite love and your infinite mercy and your infinite grace, you bore our sin and shame as a criminal on a cross and you died. But then you, were, uh, then you rose again on the third day, victorious the firstborn of the slain, the one who will reconcile his children to him forever and ever. Father God, help us to be kingdom people while we are here, to remember the price that you paid, the expectations of us as disciples, what it costs to follow you, what it means to follow you, but help us to also keep eternity in mind because this is just a little blip on the radar, this room right now, this rock right now that we live on. Teach us about you as we learn about you in your gospel. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I know you are. I'm so excited. You, just picked can't. It. you picked it. So. Well, listen, it's good to have everybody here. It's almost like you guys had an extra hour of sleep or something. I don't know. Uh, my name's Joe Davis. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at Grace Life, and we're starting our new series today on the Gospel of Mark, and I've titled it Mark the Evangelist, more specifically, at Mark the Evangelist, and let me explain why. So the thing that makes social media so effective in today's world is that you can scroll for about five minutes and process 50 posts. The information is in nice little bite-sized pieces, unless... I don't know, some of you, they like, you write four paragraphs on a post. Newsflash, nobody's reading all of it. See the see more part? Uh Uh-uh, I'm not seeing more. But for the most part, it's in bite-sized pieces. You can process a lot. And if you want to dive deeper into a post, you can. You can click on a link or do whatever. But it comes at you fast, comes at you quick in a pithy way, through words, through pictures, video, You get the gist of many stories, and it's designed for a fast-paced life. And the best news about it, it's all true. (laughs) It's not all true. But as I was preparing for this new series on the Gospel of Mark, I kept thinking social media news feed. Because the style and pace of this gospel is made for people like me. It moves quick. It moves fast, gives me concise, detailed information on to the next thing. It was like, literally, sort of like a first century Twitter feed about Jesus. And so what I did was I created, for this series, a new Twitter account called Mark the Evangelist. Uh, You can see there just a simple first century follower of Jesus. He had to settle for this Mark the Evangel one handle. It's whack, he knows, but... 
Some 21st century dude had Mark the Evangelist already, so he had to settle for Mark the Evangel one. He wants you to read his book. He's got a great book out. It's called The Gospel of Mark. So I've explained, I've, I've explained how I'm going to use this. I'll use it for the, for the Sunday sermon previews. I'm going to use it from other creative ways and things because we'll probably be in the Gospel of Mark for a couple of weeks anyway. And we're going to go through and we're going to use this social media feed. If you're not on Twitter, that's okay. I'll be posting this stuff on Facebook as well. But if you have a Twitter account, follow Mark the Evangelist. Look him up. Make sure you get the picture. See the guy with the phone right there? That's Mark, okay? Um, so uh, just make sure you follow it. But we'll be doing some really cool stuff with it as we go through the series. But for us to really appreciate what this series is going to be like, we must start with a solid understanding of why the Gospels, and specifically, particularly this Gospel, is so important. Arguably, the Gospel of Mark is the most important of the four Gospels. So I want to start off with the history of why we're doing the study of Mark. Why are we bothering? Why couldn't we do something else? And why couldn't we continue with Joseph? Well, Joseph's dead. He died. So we have to move on to something else. But let's talk about the history. Who is Mark the Evangelist? Who is he? So this is one of the things I put up there. You can look for it uh, on, on Twitter um, and follow it. Uh, but what Mark is doing, he's writing a gospel, but he's not an apostle. I mean, he's not a, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. Can he be trusted? Why did God let Mark write the first gospel? It doesn't make any sense. Why couldn't like Matthew or somebody write it? Why is that to be this guy Mark? Why would people be excited to read something by this guy? Why was he so esteemed? Why is he so special? In reality, many people don't realize this. Mark, also called John Mark, also called Mark the Evangelist, was one of the most impactful, well-known people in the early church. He had incredible street cred among everyone. For centuries, church tradition called him Mark the Evangelist. That's where we get the name of the series. They called him John Mark. He's a very connected person in the early church, spent significant time with both Peter and the Apostle Paul, a lot of time. He was a firsthand witness to many of the events that happened in Jesus' life. He's associated very closely with all the apostles, as I said earlier, very close to Paul and Peter. In fact, he was most likely at the day of Pentecost. More on that later. But he was an eyewitness to all the post-resurrection miracles and action of Jesus. So this guy knows of what he speaks. I want to tell you a little bit about Mark's family. John Mark is associated with a wealthy and prestigious family. His mother's name was Mary, not the Jesus Mary. It's a, everybody was named Mary. What's your name? Mary. Oh, what's your name? Marie. Oh, well, that's different. But apparently they had a lot of money and a big house and they supported important, crucial gatherings of early Christians for worship, for prayer, for food and fellowship. Some traditions teach, and actually there's a lot of traditions that teach this, that the day of Pentecost where all the disciples were gathered together in one place and the spirit of God came down. They teach that, that actually happened at Mark's house hosted by his mother after the death of Jesus. His mother Mary, Mary apparently hosted many believers regularly for fellowship 
and important meetings. Mary and her house, Mark's mother, Mary and her house were very significant to the early church in Jerusalem. And Peter actually seemed to know just where to go when he was fleeing arrest. He was in trouble. The Romans are going after him. The Jews are going after him. And he needed a place to escape. In Acts chapter 12, Luke tells us, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all that the Jews, the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. See, I didn't lie to you. It's actually true. Where many were gathered together and were praying. Peter has this dream. He wakes up, he knows he's in trouble, and he makes a beeline for Mary's house, the mother of John Mark. So that's the first idea. I want you to understand why Mark would have some street cred. His family was very important. I'm sure they supported financially, with resources, place to stay, food, all that type of stuff. But I also want to talk a little bit about Mark with Paul and Barnabas. Remember, Paul was the disciple to the Gentiles, and Barnabas was the guy who mentored him and encouraged him. And they went on the first missionary journey to take the gospel to people who weren't Jewish. He actually accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And some people say he was actually the reason he was there is because he was Barnabas's cousin. Matter of fact, it says that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. It says right there in, that, in the passage, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning him who you have received instruction. If they come to you, welcome them. And some people speculate that when Mark was with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, his role was sort of like a recorder, a travel attendant, making sure they had what they needed and writing things down, making sure people knew what was going on, keeping a record. And as a matter of fact, later on, we see that Luke calls Mark their helper in Acts 13, 5. He makes sure that people understand that John Mark was an aide, an assistant, and a guide to Paul and Barnabas, the first missionaries to be ever sent out. But later on, there's a conflict. He's caught in a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. And John Mark leaves. Maybe he was scared. Maybe he was upset, but him leaving really frustrated Paul. And Paul held it against him for a long time. And some scholars suggest that as a Jewish believer, perhaps John Mark left over a disagreement about circumcision. We've gotten into that before, and Peter and Paul had a big fight over that idea. This is bolstered by the fact that, that Peter and Paul themselves had the big falling out, and John Mark what we learn later is actually very, very close to Peter. So you can see maybe what's happening here early on. There's a schism in the church. There's an argument over theology and doctrine, and people are picking sides. So this big rift happens. Barnabas sides with John Mark because they're cousins. But later, Paul and Mark reconciled in 2 Timothy 4.11. Paul and Mark come back together. And Mark calls him somebody who's extremely useful to him in the ministry. Some people believe, as I do, um, you guys remember we did a series on 2 Corinthians. And there was one story in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I'm going to send to you a very well-known brother who's known for preaching the gospel. Maybe some of you remember that story. 
Many people believe that well-known brother was Mark the Evangelist. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul makes reference to that. And then the most important relationship in John Mark's life and Mark the Evangelist's life is with Mark and Peter. Many believed that he developed this close relationship with Peter and that his gospel actually records Peter's account of Jesus' life and ministry. The gospel of Mark is almost certainly a record of Peter's essential preaching about Jesus. The early church fathers unanimously assert this idea. As a matter of fact, there's a guy, a writer named Origen, who was a second and first century scholar. Here's what he says about the gospel of Mark. It was written by Mark who wrote it according to the instruction of Peter, who in his general epistle acknowledged him as a son. Peter calls Mark a son in First and Second Peter, saying, the church that is in Babylon elect together with you, salute you, and so does Mark, my son. This is from the guy Origen. He's, he's very close when it comes to time he lived, and so he was back in that first and second century, so he would know more than anyone. And so the tradition follows that they were very close and they worked together. And it's fascinating if you think about it because the flavor and what you're going to learn, the flavor of the gospel of Mark, the pace is like how we think and perceive of Peter. Brash, quick reacting, no nonsense, full of passion. Next thing I want to tell you about Mark is his impact. It is believed that he was one of the original 70 sent out by Jesus in Luke chapter 10. And according to early church, John Mark, Mark the evangelist, was the first missionary to Africa. He established a church in northern Africa. Tradition says around 68 AD, he was martyred in Alexandria because of his efforts to evangelize pagans that were there. No other author has ever been suggested for the gospel of Mark. And all the earliest church fathers and all the accounts acclaim it to be written by John Mark, Mark the evangelist, same person. You can see now why Mark had a major role in spreading the gospel of Jesus throughout the world and why his words would be so important. So that's the history. There's a lot there, I know, but it's introduction and we have to cover that. So let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What is he doing? How does he do it? The gospel of Mark is what the world needed. So I made this little Twitter feed I told you about. That was the first thing I posted. Hey, guys, keep up with the news about Jesus the Messiah on my Twitter feed. Things are going to move fast, so try and keep up. And that's exactly what this gospel is like. The question is, why wasn't Mark written sooner? It was probably written about 25 years after Jesus. I mean, here's why. Because everyone knew everyone back in those days. Everybody knew about Jesus. They talked about it all the time. They were there. They would spread the word. But 25 years later, the testimony about what Jesus was and who he was and what he did, that began to get a little bit bifurcated and it needed to be preserved by the eyewitnesses for those that had never seen or heard of Jesus. And it was very apparent at the time that it had come for things to be written down and written down fast. And that is why later on you'll learn the gospel of Mark is actually uh, the, the foundation for what Matthew and Luke used to start their Gospels. The church needed at the moment, though, an easy-to-read, easy-to-disseminate, broad overview of the story of Jesus and his miracles and his Gospel. So God inspires Mark to write this fast-paced Gospel focusing only on the three years of Jesus' public ministry. He doesn't talk about Christmas. 
It's fascinating because this gospel is written not for Jews. The first gospel is written for non-Jewish readers, written for a Roman audience. He took time to explain some Jewish customs so they'd understand, but he used Roman time rather than Hebrew time. He used a lot of Latin in it to explain things. The first gospel was written for us, Gentiles, that God would call and save for the next 20 centuries. Of all the gospels, this is the only one for you, written to you, for you. This is the genius of the gospel of Mark, church. It's simplicity. Because frankly, it could not be written any other way. Or non-Jewish readers would never even pick it up. What is this 37 thing about Jews? I don't want to read it. But Mark's was short. His brevity was so crucial for the first century church. It really has become now in this day the gospel for ADHD people like me. In fact, get this. Now, you get a sense of how fast moving this gospel is just in the first chapter. In the first 45 verses, it reads like a Twitter feed. The first thing he does, verses 1 through 8, is John the Baptist. That's the longest section in the whole chapter. <laughs> then he talks about the baptism of Jesus. That was a big deal, by the way. Two verses. The temptation of Jesus. Remember, 40 days and nights in the wilderness, right? A lot of happening there. Two verses. 140 characters. <laughs> Jesus begins his public ministry. That's a big deal. Two verses. <laughs> he calls 12 disciples. Three per verse. Something else pretty big happened. He heals somebody who's demon-possessed. Everybody in the whole countryside sees it. Seven verses. He heals many people. Like all the time, healing people. Five verses. Preaching in Galilee. Later on, you'll find out that was a big sermon. Four verses. Pastor Joe, that's my kind of sermon. That's what I like right there. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> then he heals a leper. Five verses. Nine huge, important, significant stories in 45 Verses. It is so clearly a God thing that the first record was written for blue collar type non Jewish people, quick, fast, concise, working through the personality of who Peter was and who Mark is. God creates this amazing, easy to read account of the most important story in human history. Matthew, Luke, and John saw what Mark did, and you can't help but think that God used Mark to motivate them and inspire them to write their perspective of the life of Jesus. Well, Mark, that was pretty good, but we need a little more Jewish stuff in there. But with all that in mind, you can see how this unusual book, this precious gospel, these 16 chapters of gold, was a gift from God to the Gentiles of all generations to come. Isn't that cool? So let's talk about the personal. What about us? I want to talk about the real Jesus. So this was my uh, 
one of the campaigns I put out there this week. Redemption moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Yes, it's a quote from Ferris Bueller, and I changed a little bit. Don't judge me. <laughs> but Grace Life apparently liked Mark the Evangelist, so it ret- they retreated it. I don't know who did, retweeted, but somebody did. Now, this may sound silly to some of you, but most people in America, especially Christians, think they know who Jesus is. But actually, many of us have completely missed him. Even people in the church think they know. But they have allowed so many other sources and influences to shape your personal view of Jesus. And just like in the first century, the faster, the fuller life gets, the greater risk that we drift away from knowing the real Jesus. So I want to talk about American Jesus first. What do you think I mean by American Jesus? Yeah, all that stuff. What would Jesus do? We have allowed our culture to define who Jesus is instead of his word. We create an idea of who Jesus is, and he becomes this Jesus of our own imagination, our own culture, and he fits nicely, neatly into our own worldview. We construct a Jesus based on our own life experiences. We give him an accent, a color to his skin, and his eyes and hairstyle. We assign him, be honest, you may not want to admit it, But deep down, we assign him our own political, cultural worldview and filter his message through our own confirmation bias. We get so caught up in all that stuff, we subconsciously, maybe sometimes consciously, begin to adjust the real story of Jesus and what he came to do. We let modern-day politics, philosophy, Religious self-righteousness and cultural wokeness shape the persona of Jesus. Then we use that construct to shun others. And we even think that that Jesus, the one we have constructed, he is the key. My view of Jesus, he is the key to changing the world. I mean, liberals have their own version of Jesus to piously condemn conservatives, feed the poor, love and accept everyone. Conservatives have their own version of Jesus to piously condemn liberals, abortion, sanctity of marriage. And we begin to have all these things we wrap into our view of Jesus and we use them to beat people over the head that don't agree with us. And then what's really crazy is we can't even begin to see outside of our own little view of how what would Jesus do in America might be very different from what people think what would Jesus do in Russia. What would Jesus do in Africa? What would Jesus do in Venezuela? We can't even sometimes see the difference of what Jesus might do in Florida or California. Meanwhile... Most of us, dare I say all of us, never even come close to remotely living up to our own projected Jesus and our own projected what would Jesus do standard. Why? 
Because WWJD Jesus, whether he's liberal or conservative, that Jesus is powerless to transform people's lives. You know why? He isn't real Jesus. He's our Jesus. But now let's talk about the real Jesus. This is why a detailed, verse-by-verse, deep study of the Gospels, particularly Mark, is so crucial for God's people. And what Mark and Peter do is they give us a straight shot. Frankly, today, the American church, both on the left and the right, desperately needs a straight shot of Jesus because we're missing a lot of it. And Mark and Peter... Led by the power of God and his spirit, give us this unfiltered, unpolluted Jesus with power to change and save all of us on the left, on the right and the center, black, white, yellow, whatever. He is the one who can change us all. Because let me tell you something. Liberals and conservatives are both, honestly, both of us, all of us are hopelessly depraved, selfish, Arrogant, judgmental, deficient spiritually. And no hope of making heaven with your Jesus. We need real Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Mark, we learn the reason for Jesus. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a payment or ransom for many. The church doesn't need American Jesus. We need real Jesus. The son of God who came to save the lost, the addicted, the wounded, the betrayed, the failing, the sick, the rich, the poor, the healthy, the dying, That's what this series will be. Getting down to the nitty gritty about what the world needs to know, what you and I need to know about the real Jesus. So we're going to stop at Grace Life for several months and look at real Jesus. Megan's back there saying, yes, several months, yes. (laughs) You know why? Listen carefully why. Because we cannot afford to miss out on who he really is. Heavenly Dad, we're so excited about the gospel of Mark, how you're going to use it to teach us about the real Jesus. We don't want to put faith and trust in our construct of what Jesus is. We don't want our own confirmation bias, our own things to get in the way and hindering what the message of Christ really is for us. Lord, help us to be reprogrammed. Help us to unfreeze any image we have of Christ and start fresh, start brand new, start with a clean, blank slate, and let the gospel of Mark teach us over the coming months, this is the real Jesus. This is the one that has the power to save and transform. God, help us fall in love with the real Jesus all over again.